Well, good morning, Trinity family. Good to see you out there. Uh, shout out also to the folks in the worship center. Uh, I'm Pastor Steve, and you might be wondering this morning, as uh, last Sunday was such a significant Sunday, Commitment Sunday, a huge celebration, a huge time in our church, and then, um, I don't know if I said Celebration Sunday. Last week was Commitment Sunday. I might have said that wrong. Next week is Celebration Sunday, so we've got two very important uh, services. You may wonder, like, what are we doing today? Um, so if you were here last week, uh, you heard a vivid message. Pastor Peter just did a great job uh, in taking us to Acts chapter 2 and a true picture of unity. Um, maybe that word is overused at times, but boy, in Acts 2, it's a, a true unity from the heart of God, a unity honestly rarely seen, uh, Marty's highlight uh, and her prayer really show um, that often our world is in chaos and it's anything but unity. But the unity in Acts 2 was brought by the Holy Spirit and literally in a day, one day began to change a whole city and has been changing the world uh, for 2,000 years. So then maybe you were here last week and you wondered, what does it take to live that kind of Holy Spirit unity out? What does that look like in real life? What does that look like in my life? Well, I know for me, a few scriptures came to mind that are pretty familiar. Uh, Proverbs 27, 17 says, uh, iron sharpens iron and one person sharpens another. Wow, well known, but like, ouch, and painful or intimate, but what does that actually look like? Possibly 1 Thessalonians 2.8, where Paul says, we cared for you so much that we were delighted to not just teach you, bring you the gospel, but share our lives as well. Well, we knew Paul as a teacher, but share our lives. Wow, sounds amazing, but what does that really look like? Or maybe 1 Peter 1.22, where Peter comments relationally, that we ought to have a pure heart of love for one another constantly. Pure heart, okay. Constantly? Wow. And what does that actually look like? So these friendships of trust that we've been thinking about over the last five or six weeks, this mindset has to go deep, doesn't it? I think into who... Uh, we are. Um, just as a reminder, so we've talked, um, do we have friendships? <laughs> Whether believers or not believers, people that are anti-Jesus or have known Jesus for years, like, can people really trust us? Do we really build quality relationships? Then do we initiate a little bit of boldness where we ask questions, where we're curious, we really want to get to know people, even people that disagree with us, and we initiate those spiritual conversations Kaylin trained us with the three circles model of how to share the gospel. And today, kind of the general topic is the idea of helping them find Jesus. So I don't know about you, but for me, this kind of friendship, this kind of intentionality, this kind of unity, man, this takes time. <laughs> and this is in constant need, I think, of refining. At least I know it is in my life. So one more time. What does this actually look like with our families, 
neighbors, co-workers, those who know Jesus well and those who don't or maybe just showing interest. So let's learn today from our master one more time. You know, there are so many stories. Almost every story in the gospel talks about how Jesus was so uh, intentional uh, with being with people. You know, not just with, but with, meaning, fully engaged, present, listening, being curious, not distracted, not hurried, with. So I invite you to turn to Luke 24. It's a great story. The words are actually not going to be on the screen because I want you to hear it in story form. It may be a new story or familiar to you, um, but I will mention that Luke 24 um, is just a crazy passage of Scripture when you slow down to think about it. It starts in verse 1 with profound disappointment as a couple of followers, a couple of women who faithfully followed Jesus, came to the tune because Jesus had just died. So their lives have been utterly filled with sorrow and probably confusion for a couple of days. But they found the tomb empty. To their surprise, the huge stone rolled away, and then, of course, two angels show up and say, you know, he told you he was going to rise from the dead. And then the chapter says, oh, then they remembered. And what to me is kind of hilarious is these women raced to tell uh, the apostles, the disciples, apostles, same guys, now it's 11 of them, not 12 of them, and they thought the women, it was nonsense. They're like, we don't even believe you. So kind of kind of imagine that that's happened, and then we start in verse 13. Now that same day, don't miss that, same day that the women find the empty tomb in the morning, they run to the apostles, the apostles are like, it's nonsense, it doesn't make any sense. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place, and while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. Isn't that so strange, right? But they were prevented from recognizing him. So some guy shows up and starts walking with him on the road to Emmaus. Uh, then he, Jesus, asked them, oh, what's this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? And Jesus goes, what things? <laughs> he asked them, so they said to him, you know, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who is a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Remember, these disciples, these women, are, or these men are heartbroken at this point, right? Confused. They're talking. They're arguing. Verse 21. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. 
besides all this, it's the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said, but they didn't see him. Can you imagine being Jesus listening to this conversation? It's remarkable, right? So then Jesus kind of turns the tables. Verse 25, he said to them, how foolish you are, (laughs) how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. They still don't know who he is, right? They came near the village where they were going, and Jesus gave the impression he was going farther, but they urged him, oh, stay with us because it's almost evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to them, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then of course, he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us That very hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, so they made the seven-mile trek back, probably in the dark, because they had to find the 11 who were gathered together who said, the Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they begin to describe what has happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. Okay, people. Of all of the ways Jesus chose to reveal himself, it was this? On the first day back from the dead? Really? Think about it for a bit. He could have appeared at the temple, the church at the time. Wouldn't that have made more sense? Like the word would have got out pretty quickly or a really prominent street in Jerusalem. What if he showed up at Pilate's front door? Governor Pilate that had him killed, it was like, what is truth and whatever, what? Can you imagine Pilate opening the door and seeing the one he sentenced to death two days earlier? What if he showed up in Rome, the, the unequaled power center of the world at the time, and knocked on Caesar Augustus' door? Doesn't that make more sense? Like the world, the world would, the word would have spread like wildfire. The world would have known probably within days because this is the greatest victory over evil ever, right? Why didn't Jesus show up in his glory and proclaim once and for all, yes, I'm God of the universe. Yes, I beat death. Come follow me. Instead, we get a mysterious empty tomb with a couple of angels and a stroll on a road with two disciples. Who does this? Is it stunning to you that Jesus quietly 
very quietly just appeared to these two disciples, not hundreds, not even the 11. Wouldn't you think it'd be the 11? No. Two. They took a long walk together, just the three of them. He asked questions. He listened. He engaged. He shared. And he spent hours, it seems, with them and then responded to a meal invitation. He didn't seem rushed at all on his first day back from the dead. This is so intentional on Jesus' part. Humble, not flashy, instead engaging, and so personal. He was with them. Notice again, I'd never really seen this before. In verse 35, it says, He was made known to them in the breaking of bread. They realized it was Jesus not when he performed a miracle, not when he exposed his glory like he did on the Mount of Transfiguration. It was as he broke bread and handed to them somehow. The most humble, personal moment you can imagine. Jesus was with them. So I don't know how surprising this is for you today. Maybe you're like, well, of course, this is the way (laughs) that Jesus would do this. He's humble, he's engaging, he's personal, he's placing great value uh, on his time with these two disciples. I guess the question then is, does this describe our relationships? Is this how we do life together? Is this the way we relate Uh, at home, in the neighborhood, at work, or standing in the checkout line at Walmart. So when we think today of the H, of fish, of the idea of helping people, helping them follow Jesus, notice, at least for me, the most profound but simple thought. It was personal. It was personal It was personal. Don't rush past that. Please don't rush to, oh, of course, I know that. Because when we see people like Jesus does, we see them as precious, valued, and prized. It's personal. When we don't, we're rushed, disconnected, uncaring, and prized people become projects. I think I rarely set out, uh, I'm not intentional in wanting to treat someone like a project, but I know for me, I can be so results-oriented, self-focused, controlling, that the easiest thing to do is to treat a person, now let's make it real, to treat you or someone in my family like a project. And you can tell, can't you, when somebody is truly with you or just wants something from you. Pastors and missionaries and full-time workers are terrible at this a lot of times. You just feel like the pastor wants something from you, and sometimes that's the case. Then you're a project, aren't you? So before we go back to the passage, I want to camp here for a minute. might be a little uncomfortable. Maybe it already is. Um, on the idea of making a person a project, because I think we do it all the time. Uh, let me make an I statement. I know I'm aware that I do it all the time. 
And I don't think I need to remind you that treating a person like a project is deep and thick in our American culture. Or maybe I should remind you. So uh, just a few thoughts we could add to these, but our culture is built for speed. Does that help relationships deepen? Uh, Our culture is built for performance and success. If you don't do what I want, when I want it, how I want it, like I'm done with you. Well, that helps relationships a lot. Our culture is rushed. Often do you find yourself in conversation and you're like not even there because you're a rushed person. Our culture is filled with greed. It's loud. It's filled with lies. Um, Lies don't help relationships very much. Uh, And we could go on. Our culture actually, it's like it embraces distraction and embraces hiding, whether it's a man cave or a football game or Netflix or whatever, whatever. We just run from each other at times. Or if we don't run from each other, we cancel each other. Then we hide from each other. Self-love, ego. You know, it's crazy because in social media, our culture says it values relationships and it's doing the exact opposite. So all of these values point us towards the idea of what people can do for us. You provide me something of joy or service, then I like you. You're a project. And I think it's so easy to bring this culture into our church. Like we know we do it, don't we? Um, I was just talking to somebody recently who was very honest about their marriage and like, do you, do you like, do you ever try and change your spouse? I'm like, of course. <laughs> like, it's terrible. It doesn't work. It never works. But yeah, you want them to be a certain thing for you. How does that work when you turn your spouse into a project? So this is us, right? Let's get real. Um, and what about when we bring this into our small groups or one-on-one discipleship, or serving. A couple honest questions for you along this line. Do you have to get the last word in a conversation? Or most of the words in the conversation? Or are you just waiting to talk? You're kind of half listening while the other person's talking? Or are you sure that you can fix their problem with a book or a podcast or a verse that you kind of slam at them? while you're interrupting them? If so, you're treating a person like a project. A couple days ago, I heard an incredible phrase. I'm just gonna kind of throw it in there because I've just been thinking about it since Thursday. Um, Here's the phrase. If you wanna go fast, go alone. If you wanna go far, go together. What I think is fascinating, if I'm honest about this, is I really identify with the first part of that phrase um, because this really is us, too. How many times, you probably haven't said it a lot, but you've thought, um, thanks for your offer of help, but I'd rather do it on my own. In fact, you would just bother me and slow me down. Like, right, you, you're, you're on a project, you know what you're doing, you know, like, I don't want a team, I just want to do it, I don't want people annoying me, like, I just, I just rather get it done. I'll be glad to help you, but I'm never going to ask for help. So logically, strategically, if you want to get more done, go alone. I mean, it makes sense. 
But I would ask you, can you find one scripture that encourages that mindset? But you'll find hundreds that say, if you want to go far, go together. It's a whole different way to think, Jesus' way to think. So what Jesus modeled in Luke 24, honestly, or I guess obviously, is the exact opposite of treating people like a project. Let's look at a few key ways Jesus was so personal and think of what does it mean for us to model this as we help others, as he calls us into each other's lives. So uh, around verse 16, uh, read again, while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what's this dispute you've been having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there these days? What things? So there's a couple of simple but profound things that I love about Jesus in this passage. And that first phrase, he just walked along with them. Um, don't you just long for that in your relationships? So when I think of that, here, here's what comes to mind for me. When I just walk with somebody, like it's not a race, uh, no one's better, no one's worse, there's no comparisons, there's no, like, somebody needs to be the expert or somebody needs to be the answers. Those of you that love to literally take walks together, sometimes couples, I've heard stories of hiking and just different things recently. Um, if you're walking with somebody that's going on this torrid pace and you have just to, to keep up with them, like, you're like, ah, oh, that's not, that. but Jesus, again, it's just profound to me, he just shows up He's just hanging out. Like when you're that comfortable with somebody, when you enjoy somebody, when you're just, when it's delightful, um, that's just wonderful. Jesus was with. Does that describe, would people say, um, man, I enjoy, I just enjoy being with Pastor Steve. Like just doing, it's, it's joyful, it's relaxed, it's... Um, I don't feel like a project. The second thing I highlighted there, uh, I think we're going back one maybe, Chad. We're still on 10. Yeah, thanks. So it, it, uh, I just want to laugh because Jesus knows the answers. Obviously, the answer is him. But he asked them two questions. Did he already know the answer? Yeah. And I think, again, of our culture, we, we delight in like, oh, I bet you didn't know that. Or we one-up each other all the time. Oh, that song, I bet you didn't know the bandwidth. Like, we just, we're almost addicted to answers because they show like, hey, I know what I'm talking about. This is Jesus coming back from the dead, and he spends the first part of the conversation go, hey, guys, tell me, tell me more. Tell me more about what you're thinking and you're arguing about. He the Son of God. If anybody had the right to show up and take over, it was Jesus, and he just asked questions and listened. I don't think we can ever value enough. Oh, tell me more. Especially if it's somebody who don't, doesn't know Jesus or is just getting to know Jesus, and you're like, ah, 
yeah, like you don't, you don't have a right picture of God or, oh gosh, your view on that is off. And you're probably right, but just correct him. That's going to be a great thing for the relationship, right? So listening to the heart of a person, asking a question, and then maybe another, and maybe you don't talk at all because you really want to get to know them. I had somebody tell me a few weeks ago, person A was on the phone with person B. Person A was struggling a bit just with some normal life things and sharing on the phone with person B. And at one point in the conversation, person A was aware that person B was kind of getting emotional, some tears happening. And person A kind of stopped, like it was a little confusing, like... Um, you're getting pretty emotional there. You're like, what's going on? Person B goes, basically, I'm crying for you. Like, what, what you have shared on the phone has impacted me enough that I'm, I'm sorrowing. I'm crying for you. So person A told me, like, that was just a whole different category. Like, I've never had somebody so want to be with me in a situation, listening so well, empathizing so much that they were crying on my behalf. So when we're with people, these are the things I think of. Uh, I mentioned being curious. I think of having no agenda. Uh, Maybe that's just me, but again, sometimes I want results out of people. You know, it's sort of a joke. It's sort of not. Every time I attend a small group, almost every time the leader goes, so you got your report card, Pastor Steve? And I'm like, no, I just want to be with you guys. I want to, and I might have some feedback and I might not, but um, man, if you feel pressure when I come to your small group, like what, what's up with me and the way I'm doing life with you? So, so Again, you know, sometimes the, like your, your spouse, your kid, your boss or whatever, like you're really nice because you want something from them. What would it mean if we dropped agenda and just embraced love? For those we know well, for those that are just getting to know Jesus and those that don't want Jesus at all. We're fully present. We're not distracted. We're not rushed. We're not critical. We're not correcting But instead, we're relaxed, we're free, we're celebrating. Is that how you describe your relationships? Relaxed, free, and celebration-oriented. I want to be around people like that. So I highlighted the last one, Holy Spirit-led. This could be its own sermon, but um, man, I just keep, I was just talking to somebody yesterday about... um, Sadly, uh, I've known Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you know, since I was probably 10 years old. But the reality that, um, well, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So I think he meant it, right? And in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's not the fruit of Steve. I don't have those things in me, or they're badly broken, because of sin, and I don't do them very well. So when I think, you could hear me today and you could hear pressure like, I I could never be this mature. Maybe you're honest like, I'm terrible at relationships. I can't do this stuff. Okay, who cares? How about a passion to be Holy Spirit-led 
and directed because this is what the Holy Spirit is an expert at. When you think of your small group, when you think of your friendships, when you think of conversations at home, is Holy Spirit in charge of those? <laughs> That's a big deal, right? Um, end of Galatians 5 says, keep in step with the Spirit. Maybe as we do that, our friendships are relaxed, more free, and more celebrative. About uh, two or three months ago this, this summer, I was at Panera in Waterloo. About an hour early, I was meeting somebody for lunch, and um, somebody from our congregation, uh, a wonderful lady that I know a little bit, not really well, honestly, but uh, walked in, and there's, there's the normal courteous, like, hey, you know, how are you? And usually that's it, right? I mention this because that person kind of walked towards me, and um, I'm like, oh, okay. And she's like, how are you? And she looked at me like she wanted to know the answer to that. It wasn't a cafe flyby, how's it going? How are you? So I shared three, four minutes or whatever, unmoved, uh, not distracted, eyes just locked on. And then after I answered that, she's like, how's Caitlin? For real, how's how's your wife doing? Okay, five, six minutes. Um, How are the kids? How's Sophie and Josiah and Molly? So I don't know, I mean, I didn't keep time, but I'm guessing 12, 13, 14 minutes. Like, it was like I was the only person in the world. Um, It felt relaxed, it felt free, it felt celebrating. I felt celebrated. Am I that way with people? So Jesus' love again, maybe above everything else, is personal. So as we offer it to people, really there's no pressure. There's no controlling. Shouldn't be anger. We shouldn't need to fix anybody, especially somebody that doesn't know Jesus. There's a tension there, right? Because you long for them to know Jesus, but that's the Holy Spirit's job. Your job is to love. Um, It's hard when it's decades, right, of somebody you're praying for. Maybe it's just another way to learn to love deeper and be more Holy Spirit-led. Maybe, maybe plug in or write down the word delight. Do you delight in people? (laughs) Maybe everything I've described so far. (coughs) Sorry about that. Maybe, maybe we just go away with that thought because it seems like that's who God is. Zephaniah 3.17 even says that, talks about God delighting in us and singing over us. How about this morning? Your family, your drive here, people that you've chatted with, delight? What about your time in the cafe afterwards? Would God describe it as relaxed, free, celebrating, Holy Spirit-led, and delightful. All right, there's one more aspect to this personal relationship, and you probably heard it or read it as we were going through the passage. So in a moment, Jesus really turns the tables. Yes, he's present. Yes, he's listening. But then all of a sudden, he goes, you know how foolish you are. 
and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. That's only a couple sentences, but there's a lot there. Um, Jesus confronts them with what? With truth. With truth from scripture. I, I kind of wish, I don't know, I wish I knew the tone of his voice. I, I don't know if he was how frustrated or not, but maybe it was just like, oh, how foolish, you know. Here, here let, me, let me explain to you. How much did he explain? From Moses through all the prophets. So I don't think this was a sentence or two. Probably as they walked along, Jesus just kept unfolding truth, truth about himself. So we see here um, that Jesus pointed them to his word strongly. So let me say this. This is my observation, and I'm, I have been guilty of this for sure. So often in our relationships, we leave truth out. Like, I'll just say it. Uh, I've done it, and I've been in a lot of our small groups where, like, the Bible passage is read, and then there's an hour and a half discussion, and the, and the passage is never referred to again. Or maybe in your one-on-one -on -one great conversation at Panera, it's great. It's, it, it's hopeful, it's real, but like, do you ever point that person to the word? Is the word central or is the word peripheral? And we also leave out challenge. Yeah, I know we're in Iowa, but this is appropriate, right? So think, think of your relationships, and this could be with some dear person that knows Jesus or somebody that doesn't know Jesus at all. How central is the word of God to your relationship? And how central is challenge? Now, this isn't a whole different sermon. These should go together. Like, I can be present with you, loving with you, being with you, and that should... Uh, not firm, that should loosen up the ground of our hearts, right, where we really can challenge each other. Hey, have you thought about this? Hey, I've noticed this. Hey, I'm concerned about this. Ooh, wow, that hurts a little bit. But yeah, I needed to, I never saw that before. So again, how central is the word of God in your relationships? How central is challenge? So I know, I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, Bad idea, Pastor Steve, because I'm not Jesus. I mean, he could read these two disciples' mind. He knew exactly what to say. Bingo, you're right, but you're wrong. So let's look at Romans 15, 14. Um, I love the scripture. My brothers and sisters, I myself am convinced, Paul says, about you that you are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, don't skip this part, and able to instruct one another. There it is. Now, a little bit on the side, but I think if you know the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul also wrote to the Corinthians, and they were a train wreck. They were fighting, they were ego-centered, there was all kinds of immorality. I don't think Paul could have said that to the Corinthians. But if you read the introduction and the last chapter uh, to the church at, at Rome, to the book of Romans, like, Paul was affirming and affirming. It sounded like they were walking with Jesus as a congregation. So he says, you're full of goodness, filled with knowledge. You're able to instruct one another. 
that how your relationships look? So you might say, that's only one verse, Pastor Steve. Okay, you shouldn't have said that. Um, If you've never heard this list before, um, you can Google later or you can pick up uh, one of the scripts if you want. Let me read to you the incredible list of one another's in the New Testament and see again what we're called to in our relationships. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Build up one another. Be like-minded towards one another. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Greet one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Be patient with one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another. Consider others better than yourselves. Look to the interests of one another. Bear with one another, teach one another, comfort one another, encourage one another, exhort one another, stir up one another to love and good works. Show hospitality to one another. Employ the gifts that God has given for the benefit of one another. Clothe yourself with humility towards one another. Pray for one another. Confess your sins (laughs) to one another. Yeah, we got to be present with each other. We got to be with. We got to care. We got to be fully there. But his word has got to be central. And we need to challenge each other. Like, how else are we going to grow? So this begs the question are our relationships truly Christ centered? Don't run from that, please. Are your relationships truly Christ-centered? I'm not just saying, are they happy or good or, or, or easy? Like, when you walk out of small group or a one-on-one at Panera, do you truly feel pointed to and filled up with Jesus more than before small group or one-on-one or a chat in the cafe this morning um, or not? And, and if this is someone who doesn't know Jesus yet that you're thinking of right now, like, don't you think they would want to see the love and kindness and power and the centrality of God's word pouring out of your life? Like, if you're getting together and encouraging a non-believer and you never bring up the word or your faith, what are they going to think about what you really believe? I love the phrase in verse 32. It's confusing and wonderful when um, before the two disciples realized it was Jesus, what do they say? Weren't our hearts burning within us? So, so I'm honestly asking you, especially some of you that are doing one-on-one discipleship, do you, do you know what that's like? Like that you're you're so immersed in a time of being in God's word and sharing deeply and praying for each other that you're, you're just like, you're, you're lit. Your hearts are burning because of the truth of the word of God. If not, why, why are we doing it? <laughs> why are we doing it? So I don't know. With all of this, like, maybe you're really motivated or absolutely overwhelmed today, but I think there's a simplicity to this um, 
And, and I'm going to explain that a couple ways. First, we've got uh, one more video to show you. And I think the simplicity of being with people, helping people, will stand out in this video. I have one brother, his name is Eli, he is four years old. I just like learning about Jesus. I've been praying every night that he just helps other people to feel better. I think it's important to introduce friends to Jesus because it just gives them eternal life. And if they're your like really friends, you can see them for eternal life and it just makes God happy to get to see us meeting up at church being friends and learning about Jesus more I have a friend who didn't know about Jesus um, but then she started coming to my Bible study and she's been following Jesus and she's just loved it I started my Bible study because first I thought about doing it when I had recess with my friends at school, but then I was like, I'll just waste the time and they won't even want to do it anymore. So I asked my dad and if we could do it, if we could actually start one. We're still in our first book. Um, I think it's John. So we just read the stories at our homes and then we answer the questions. There's like this side where like a notepad and then you write your questions down. And then my dad is the leader of this. So we read it over again and then we ask our questions. Then usually we have a snack after. They think it's pretty good. One of them hasn't been to church at all, but the others have been to Awana. They go to a different church and it's been great. I just want other people to learn about Jesus and God, the Holy Spirit. It just makes me happy to share with Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit. How simple is that, right? One more thing uh, for you that um, that I'm just kind of a spoiler alert here and maybe a really neat opportunity for you coming up. So uh, next Sunday, as I mentioned, is Celebration Sunday. But after that, uh, Pastor Peter is going to take us through the book of Mark, which has 16 chapters, um, two chapters a week, so it'll be a little bit of a race um, but we're encouraging, whether you're super familiar and comfortable with meeting with somebody one-on-one -on -one or you've never done it, we're going to encourage um, kind of a skill, I guess, and it's, uh, it's up on the board right there, the idea of doing a, a discovery Bible study with somebody. And it's as simple as Emma described. Um, and so, may I, if somebody... Uh, again, if it's a coworker or a neighbor or maybe even a dear friend here at, at Trinity, as you listen to the Holy Spirit and you go, man, um, I think I'm going to ask that person like, okay, so I'm just going to um, pretend this is true. So I'm a coworker with Tim Prochnow, let's say, and tomorrow at work I'm like, 
hey, Tim, we've had a couple of conversations. We worked together for a while to have a couple of conversations about um, religion and whatever. And so our church is going to go through the book of Mark, one of the gospels. Would you be interested in reading it with me and getting together once a week? And you know, he'll say yes or no. So if he says yes, um, the simplicity of this is either you read it separately and come together, um, or maybe just read it together and just ask questions. Again, walk together. You don't need to be an expert. You don't need to have all the answers. Nobody does anyway. And just read a couple chapters and then ask these four questions. Hey, what did we learn about Jesus? What, where, what, do you, what, do you, what did you see uh, about Jesus or God in this passage? What do we learn about people? Oh, people are dumb or people followed or whatever. What do we learn about mankind in Mark chapter 1 and 2? And then what, what is Jesus asking of me? You know, how do I apply this? Is this going to make a difference in my life? And then maybe who's somebody else that maybe somebody at work we can share this insight? Does anybody come to mind? And so it's kind of the idea of eight weeks of let's read through two chapters of Mark. We make our observations. Again, nobody's an expert. Um, and we just ask these four questions. Um, this is not a program. This is not a program. This is an invitation into the intentional, with, kind focused, doing life together example that Jesus showed us that should be the way our relationships work. Let's pray together. Father, it's interesting for me, I think that I grew up with all the really important categories about you, how how you're so powerful, which you are, and how Jesus became like one of us, and you're eternal, and you're a trinity, and you're faithful, and you know my every thought, and these huge, amazing categories. But God, I think it was years before I was even introduced to this idea of how deeply you love and enjoy and delight in people. God, this is hard for us. You, you know it is. Um, but every day, God provides an opportunity for us to treat people in our homes, in our neighborhoods, people that do and don't know Jesus, to treat them with delight like you delight in us. God, please help us to not forget. <laughs> help me to not forget to apply this to my life. And would you be honored because of it? In your name, amen.